0: let us pray god when we when we remember how amazing your grace has been extended to us how wonderful and powerful it is how else could we respond but in worship in self devotion in love and sacrifice father let our worship here today not just be in word But indeed, in thoughts, in actions, let what we say and do here be pleasing in your sight. Not just going through the motions, but honoring you and offering you ourselves fully and finding the joy that comes from being in a relationship with you. So break down the walls that we have erected for protection, even in here. Break those down, God, and touch our hearts and speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.
1: Good morning. We want to welcome you to First Baptist Church, and we are so glad that you've come to worship with us, and I think most of you do know that we are trying to get a record of everyone's visit, so hopefully you received a bulletin,
0: if everybody would just take and tear that off. Uh, the little flap for us, and just if you're a regular attender and First Baptist member, you can just fill out your name or make any changes for us so that we uh, uh, have current email addresses and things like that. And also, if you have a prayer request, if you'll just write down on the other side your prayer request for us, and then we'll get that to the
1: prayer team that's praying right now. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we want to just ask that you make sure and fill it out so we can get some more information to you about First Baptist. So First Baptist, if we'll
0: just stand and greet one another and just look for those visitors around you. Hello and welcome to First Baptist Church Tifton. My name is Mary Claire Rains. I'm involved in the children's ministry here. I'm a GA teacher as well as a nursery coordinator and we're thrilled to have you with us today. We're thrilled that you've joined us to be part of our television audience. We hope that you'll grab your Bible, that you'll sing along, and that you'll follow as Brother Wayne brings us today's message. We do have counselors standing by. If you have some prayer needs or you have some questions about First Baptist Church or about becoming a Christian, you can call the church at 382-6063 or you can visit the website at www.fbctifton.org. Once again, we do thank you for joining us and we hope to see you here one day. right here can everybody see good you can I'm so glad y'all are in God's house it's so important boys and girls to be in God's house to worship him and so that's what we want to do and that's why we're here and if you want to when we get concluded here with our uh, children's worship I mean you can go with Miss Sabine and there'll be more worship in another room specially designed uh, for for boys and girls your age Emily Rowe has the happy club bag let's see what Miss Emily will you share that with me Let's see what we brought today. It's heavy. It is. Wow, it is heavy. Emily, how'd you carry this thing? Uh oh. Please don't. What
1: the what the hey, one of my friends have?
0: Alfie. Tell me about this, Emily. What is this? Oh, you put a card in? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you do.
0: Shapes. Where do you put it?
1: Right there.
0: Oh. Show me how to do it. Oh.
1: Yeah, it's uh, on. It's on. <laughs> it's
0: like. coming on. Oh. is like having It's a it's called Alfie and it's a learning robot. So you put different cards in there and it teaches shapes, numbers, letters colors shapes and silhouettes do you think I can do this Yeah. what do you do Emily I appreciate your confidence
1: the button. I know push
0: this one and then you got to push oh it's the backs Learning with you. Let's, keep playing. let's keep playing okay here's a bed and here's a bed I missed it. <laughs> Emily, this is too hard for me. I, that's what I pushed. Light. And there's a the light. Alvarific. This is
1: so fun. Let's keep going. My toy. <laughs> chair. And
0: jail. A chair. So you learn shapes and you learn colors and sizes and numbers and tell me what tell me why you brought this, Emily. Is it it one of your favorite toys? Have you learned a lot on it? Are you really smart? I bet you are. I bet you are because because you learn and you study. And and boys and girls, you know, the Bible tells us to do that. It says, uh, apply yourself, study, and show yourselves uh, unto wisdom. Apply yourselves and work hard and study because you know what? God has, I missed, I pushed a button. God has given you a good mind. He has given you a brain to think with. And we're supposed to love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. So I, even when I study, I think about that as devoting myself to God. So, you know, use the gifts that God has given you. And Emily's using the gift of her mind by studying and, and learning shapes and sizes and, and numbers and letters and, and all those kinds of things. And uh, so I think learning is important. And study is important. And so let me just encourage you, boys and girls, to study and and apply yourself unto wisdom. Because God has entrusted you with a gift of your mind that you don't want to squander, but you want to use it for him. So let's thank God for our minds and ask him to help us be good good students of what he wants us to learn. And you pray with me. Dear God, thank
1: thank
0: you for our minds. Help us to use them.
1: Help us to use them. To learn. To learn. And to think. And to think. And to study. And to study.
0: To please you.
1: To please you.
0: In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, boys and girls. Here's your. Better turn it off.
1: Yeah, you
0: should. I should. Okay. There you go. There's Alfie. Yeah, I know you're gonna keep working on him and learning and studying and all kinds of things, Miss Sabina. It's a boy's turn, isn't it? Yes, Uh, Nicholas, ready. Where's Nicholas? Nicholas, Nicholas, we take something home and take that home. Bring back something special next week. Uh, All right. Thank you, boys and girls. If you'd like to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who gives you
1: a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose the reward in heaven. And as you please rise, we're going to sing our offertory hymn, Love Divine, All Excelling. to you today just thanking you for who you are and for loving us like you do and uh lord we just come now and uh we want to thank you for the rain that you sent us and we want to thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon us and we want to take this opportunity to just give a little bit back to you because in the end it's all yours anyway in your name we pray amen
0: Thank you, choir. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. In response to that love that God has graciously extended to us so freely, what response can we have but worship? The sermon this morning is entitled, What Worship Does, Malachi Chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. The book of Malachi uh, addresses inferior worship that was going on in his day. Um, They were coming in basically and just desecrating the temple by how they acted, by what they did, by what they offered, and by how they lived. And God basically says... If you're going to do that, just close the doors. Don't waste your time if you can't give me your best. And so I can't help but believe that Malachi has a word for us today. It's the last book in the Old Testament. If you have trouble finding it, go to Matthew and back up one. And uh, next, next Sunday we'll start the New Testament. Yay. Although the Old Testament has been a good lesson for me and uh, valuable. And, and many things are said in the Old Testament that challenges the people of Israel. I think that challenge us too. Malachi chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. You get a flavor of how stern God's word is to the children of Israel. Almost harsh because of how they worship. Uh, backing up to the end of verse 6. O priest who despise my name, you say, how have we despised thy name? This is the answer. By offering polluted food upon my altar, and you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that no evil? Let me back up here a minute. When you bring a sacrifice to God, especially in the temple, you bring your best. You bring your first fruits. You bring your the pick of the litter, the best of the herd. You don't bring... Uh, an animal that is blind or or defective in any way. You don't offer God your second best because it offends him. This is what he says. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that no evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that no evil? Present that to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Listen to this. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire upon my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations, and in every place incense is offered to my name and a pure offering For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and the food for it may be despised. What a weariness this is. In other words, how boring worship is. What weariness this is, you say, and you sniff at me, you scoff at me, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame and sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. I think when we come into worship, God, and our image of of worship is... Our worship is less than what it can be. It's less than the best. And our image of God is too low. But when you realize how great and majestic and honored the Lord is in all the universe, the only proper response is to give him our best, our first fruits, our tithe, everything off the top, not what's left over from the bottom. Shall we pray? God, as we come to worship you, forgive us for not giving you our best. A lot of us were out late last night at the concert, and what a great evening that was. And and we're weary this morning. Others of us uh, come just out of habit or just a perfunctory observance because that's what we do. And there's weariness about it. And it's not pleasing in your sight, and we realize that. So when we come in to worship God, help us to be prepared. Not just on Saturday night, but throughout the week. Help us to be prepared with our right attitude, with our right heart, with our right gift. We come in here to give you our best. Anything less dishonors your name and your holiness and what you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a a sermon outline in the lower left-hand half of your bulletin if you need to follow along. Karl Barth, an eminent German theologian, said that Christian worship is the most momentous, the most urgent, and the most glorious action that can take place in human life. The most glorious action that can take place in human life. But here in our text this morning from Malachi, Malachi says that worship has gotten so disgusting to God that he just wanted someone to close the doors and lock them and turn the lights off and go home. So which is it? Is worship the most glorious thing we can do or is it something so disgusting to God he wants us to close and lock the doors up tight? The truth is that it can be either. And the difference depends upon Those of us who come to worship. Do we come to worship? What is the attitude we have when we come to worship God? And what actions transpire when we come into his house to worship him? In Malachi's day, the worship had become so disgusting to God because of the attitude the Israelis had developed. In verse 7, it says, They offer polluted food upon the altar. In verse 8, it says, that they offer bland animals and those that are lame are sick, scrawny, sickly sheep. And in verse 13 it says they were weary in their worship. In other words, they just yawned, they were apathetic, they could care less. It was just all a great big bore. And the reason Malachi says that things are going so badly in their land, the reason for the economic and spiritual misery that had beset them was Their low approach to worship. How about that? Your worship to God affects every other area of your life and of our land. So Malachi is writing this prophecy to point out the errors in worship and to call the Israelites back to a worship that is worthy of the almighty God they claim they love and serve. Because without pleasing God in worship, every other area of your life is going to be out of sync. There can be no prosperity, there can be no happiness in your life or in the land until God is worshipped in the right way. And as I read this, I wonder if Malachi is preaching to us too. Because if we're honest, we have to admit that worship is not always the most glorious action that can take place in the life of a Christian. And sometimes I wonder if, if we aren't that different from those in Malachi's day, bored, Indifferent, just giving to God the leftovers, the calls, the second bests. And what if Malachi says is true, and I believe it is, that there's no pleasing God and no prosperity for his people until we return to the kind of worship that is worthy of the kind of God we love and serve. And so I want to share with you this morning as a result what worship does. That's the title of the sermon. What worship does, because I believe it can help us when we approach worship today. The first thing that worship does is that it honors God. Malachi 2.2 says, if you will not listen, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you. So worship gives glory to the name of God. It ascribes honor to God. The most common word in the Old Testament for worship in the Hebrew is shakah, and it means to have a reverential attitude with adoration to God. It means to come into God's presence and honor Him. And when you honor Him and you honor His name, His name is not just an appellation. His name is who God is. His name wraps up the character and the nature and the attributes of God in their totality. That's the Hebrew idea of name. So when we honor the name of God, we are honoring who he is, what he is, all wrapped up together. The New Testament word in the Greek for worship is proskuneo, and that means, it literally means to kiss the hand toward. It means to do obeisance to, to, to prostrate yourself, to bow yourself down before someone. And once again, the idea is yielding yourself Completely, subserviently to God. So everything about worship should be designed to glorify God and give honor to his precious and holy name. And incidentally, that's why the Jews in their history, and even Orthodox Jews today, are so protective of the name of God. They, they revere it so totally. If they go to write the name of God down in their in their Torah, they have to lay their pen down and go through several ritual bathings and cleansings because they aren't worthy even to write the name of God down and they will not utter the name of Yahweh in public and just use it in common parlance because the name of God is above every other word, every other name, and it is not to be used in context with just ordinary words. And language. That's how holy the name of God really is. My favorite analogy of worship was provided by that uh, Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And he said that most people, when they come into church, they think of worship as a drama. And in that drama, the ministers, the, the musicians, the choirs, they are the performers. And God is the prompter, God is the director, and the congregation is the audience. So you come in and you sit back and you watch a performance, a presentation. Soren Kierkegaard says that is all backwards. The correct way to worship, and I think he is so right, is believe it or not, congregation, you are the ones on stage. You are the ones Performing an act of worship. God is the audience. And I and the musicians are the prompters. We are the ones urging you and exhorting you and encouraging you. But when you come into worship, you are the ones doing the action. And and what we do is for the audience of God and only God. Worship is all about God. The focus of worship is on God. Not you, not I, not anyone else. Worship focuses on God. And what we do here, how we worship, is either pleasing to Him or displeasing to Him. Henry Ward Beecher was a famous pastor of the Plymouth Church in Brooklyn for many years and one of the most famous preachers in America in the, early, in the late 19th, early 20th century. People from all over America came to his church to hear him preach. One Sunday, he was away And he had his brother, Thomas K. Beecher, filling in for him. And when Thomas entered the pulpit, the congregation realized that Henry Ward Beecher was not there. And some of the tourists and sightseers got up and headed for the doors. Thomas Beecher said, may I have your attention, please? He said, all those who came here this morning to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now depart. All those who came to worship God may stay. I realize people come to church for a lot of different reasons. Some come because they like the preacher. Some don't come because they don't like the preacher. Some come to visit with family and friends. Some come out of a sense of guilt or obligation or to try a new outfit on or to see what others are wearing. But the Bible says there is only one acceptable reason... To come into God's house to worship, and that is to worship him and to give him the honor and the praise that is due him. You can amen if you want to. All right, worship is our attempt to focus on God. Now I have people tell me from time to time, can I worship God on the golf course? Can I worship God while I'm fishing? Can I worship God in the deer stand? And the answer is yes. You can worship God in all those places because God is everywhere and I hope everything you do, every action is an act of worship to God. But hear me well, when you see a 12 point buck from your deer stand or when you feel a tug on your fishing line or when you hit a good drive from the tee, are you a little distracted from worshiping God? Certainly you are. And when that happens, you aren't really focusing on him, then are you? So that's why it's good to come into church, because we try to limit and minimize all the distractions we possibly can so that we can focus every effort, my urging and exhorting you, you acting out worship, performing worship for the audience of one who is God. He alone is worthy. And if we can leave, worship, and say with the psalmist, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, Psalm 48, 1, then what we have done here, what has transpired here, has been, has been good. So we worship because it honors God. Secondly, believe it or not, and, and don't hear me wrong, this isn't for selfish reasons, but we worship because it helps us. That's how much God loves us. And God asks us and expects us to do things that are helpful for us. He loves us that much. Everything he asks of us is for our own good. He has our best interest in mind. So when he asks us and expects us to worship him, he knows that we need to do that. It's good for us to worship. Why? Several reasons. The first thing that happens in worship is that we find forgiveness. We find forgiveness. And all you have to do is look at Isaiah 6, which is the best picture of worship in the Bible that I've ever found. Isaiah goes into the temple, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And in verse 5, when he beholds the greatness of God, verse, six, verse 5, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I am undone, basically, Isaiah says, for I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you come into worship and you see how holy and pure and righteous God is, your first response is noticing how ugly and dirty and repugnant to God your sin is. And you beg forgiveness. And God offers it. Verse 7. Well, God sends a seraphim and takes in his hand a burning coal. Verse 6. In verse 7, he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now, coming into worshiping God and worshiping God is not automatically forgiveness of sin. You have to confess that sin. God, I am a sinner. In your presence, I realize how, how evil and, and sinful I am, and I ask you to forgive me. And you can be assured that when you confess your sins, God, because he is holy and just and promised us he would, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he offers us forgiveness. The second thing is that we have the opportunity to be in a relationship with God. Worship facilitates that relationship for which we were created. There was a father sitting at his desk at home, busily working in the evening, going through office papers and and doing all kinds of things. And his his little daughter came up, kind of sidled up beside him and stood there and looking at him. And the father was just preoccupied with his work, with his business. and, And not wanting to be bothered, he reached into his pocket and handed her a quarter. And she took it, but she kept standing there. She was a very young girl. So he didn't know what she wanted. He kept working. He didn't really want to be distracted. He reached into his pocket and gave her a piece of candy. And she said, Daddy, I I don't want money. She said, I don't want candy. And finally, putting his pen down and looking at her, he said, well, what in the world do you want? And she said, I just want to be with you. And that's, that's what God wants. He doesn't need anything from us. He is self-sufficient. But he desires to have a fellowship, a relationship with us. And for that reason, we were created. And worship offers us the opportunity to be with our Heavenly Father just for a few minutes, just a few quiet moments, and be still and know that he is God. And be in his presence for a while without asking him for anything. Just seeking his face for a while. And not always his hand. So worship helps us by offering forgiveness. By facilitating that relationship. And thirdly, by experiencing God's peace. I ran across this in reading Malachi 3 verse 6. Malachi says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Wow. Our anxieties come from yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but especially tomorrow. And worship is the antidote, an antidote for anxiety because it brings us into the presence of the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever God does not change. Everything else around us, let me tell you, is changing. And if you try to base your life on a foundation of shifting sands, I assure you, you will be disappointed and insecure. But if you base your foundation on Jesus and on his Father, the only thing that does not change, the only thing that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you will be found safe and secure. Worship puts us in touch with the God who rules the world and reminds us that all things do work for God to them who love him and are called according to his purposes. And that worship gives us a sense of peace and well-being, knowing that he is in control. Everything else around us is falling apart, but he is in control and he does not change. Fifth and finally, worship gives us stability. All of our spiritual lives are a series of ups and downs and mountaintop experiences and valleys of despair. But worship disciplines us on a weekly basis to stay tuned into God and his will and purpose for our lives. So when you come in here to worship week after week, it provides security and stability to help you get through. Monday through Saturday. I hear people say all the time, I don't go to church anymore because I don't believe in God. And I wonder if what they're really saying is the converse of that. Maybe you don't believe in God anymore because somewhere along the line you quit going to church. Because I believe when you're in church, and especially in a Sunday school class, you have people around you to hold you up and to walk with you through the rough Patches of life. And when you have trouble believing in God, you have friends around you who will stand in the gap and believe for you. I have seen that in practice so tangibly in recent weeks. We've had a couple of deaths and Sunday school classes have come around those who are grieving and held them up when they couldn't stand alone. Anymore. A lot of times when people are hurting, they withdraw from church. And it's the exact opposite of what they should be doing. When you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're lost, that's when you should be in church and, and say, tell some folks around you, I need, I need somebody to hold me up. I need somebody to pray for me. I need somebody to get me through this dark night of the soul. Worship can be the boot camp where character is formed and prepared. We are prepared for the spiritual battle and moral testing that the world will place before us. Worship is not the entire focus of the Christian life. The focus of the Christian life is a relationship with God. But worship puts us in touch with a power that makes that day-to-day relationship a possibility. So worship, let me wrap this up. Worship honors God and it helps man by offering him forgiveness and relationship and a resource to power and peace for anxiety and spiritual discipline that that provides stability. And so if you leave church with your faith stronger and your hope brighter and your love deeper and your compassion broadened and your heart purer and and your will more disciplined to the will of God, then you will have worshiped. When you leave here today, because it helps us and God created us to do that. Third and finally, worship heightens sacrifice. And that's just coming right out of the text of Malachi. They were offering polluted, spoiled sacrifices. Verse 13, you bring me what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that? From your hand, says the Lord, they were offering to God their second best, the leftovers, and it was offensive to him. I know you've heard this story about the mission in Africa where one of the new Christians was at her first worship service. And the pastor prayed before the offering, and in the prayer he spoke of our need to give back to God in a spirit of sacrifice for all that he has done for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. And as they passed the plates out, the young girl didn't have any money. She had nothing tangible in her pockets to give, but out of a passion to do something in response to to the expression of God's grace in her life. She took the plate and she set it down on the floor and she got up and stepped into it offering herself. Every true act of worship requires demands some kind of response. You can't just come into worship and leave unchanged. As a matter of fact, Paul in his letter to Romans says that we are to offer our bodies Romans 12:1 as living sacrifices which is our spiritual service of worship. So if you've come into worship, but you have never felt the compulsion to give sacrificially to the Lord, then you've never really worshipped. If, you, if you've come into worship, but you pretend and present to God the leftovers and the cast-offs of your life, then you've never really worshipped. And if you've been in a worship service, but you have never once felt compelled to say with Isaiah, Here am I, Lord, send me. Then you have never really worshipped, because real worship is a heightened sense of sacrifice. And we are driven to respond in some tangible way to the grace of God, the amazing grace freely offered to our lives. Worship is not an afterthought in the Christian life. It is it is something central to being a Christian. It's not something that we do to please our parents or pacify our peers or even promote our pastor. Worship is not something we do out of habit. Because if we're not sincere in our worship, Malachi says we might as well shut and lock the doors and turn the lights out and go home because what we do will never be pleasing to him. Worship is something we do to honor God and to help ourselves and to heighten our sense of sacrifice to the God who loves us and has sent his son to die for us. Malachi says there'll be no pleasing God and no prosperity among his people until we return to the kind of worship that honors the God we love and serve and is worthy of him and honors his holy name. That's what worship does. That's why in the book of Malachi, it was repugnant to the Lord. And that's why we here in the 21st century need to take seriously this holy task we call worship. Prepare for it, not just by going to bed early on Saturday night. Not just by writing our tithe, but all week long living in an attitude of prayerful reflection and preparation. So that when we come in here on Sunday morning, what we say and do will be pleasing in his sight. A holy God we love and serve. Shall we bow? Father, sometimes we come in here on Sunday and it's been a long night and we've tossed and turned and we have so many distractions and other things on our minds and so many other bills to pay and, and expectations leveled upon us. We come in here and we offer you as, as an afterthought the second best of our lives. And our resources. And we wonder, and we leave here and we wonder why things aren't working out for us the way they should. And you say worship isn't the last thing you do, but it's the first thing on the first day of the week. And when we do it right, it'll bring us joy and happiness and prosperity in every other area the rest of the week. But we've got to trust you. We've got to take a step of faith in order to believe and try it. So let what we say and do here honor you in your holy, pure, and perfect name. For it's in the name of Jesus and in the character of his Father God, we make our prayer this day. Amen. Our invitational hymn this morning is number 489, Lord, I Want to Be a Christian. And I'll be at the front to receive you. If you say you want to be a Christian, recognize the fact that there are discipleship responsibilities that come along with that. It's not just walking down the aisle and getting baptized. That begins the Christian walk. And from there, it is a lifetime of service, sacrificial service to the name of God, offering Him your best, Every time, every place. If you're willing to take that step, I'll be at the front to receive you. Four eighty nine, Lord, I want to be a Christian, rededicating your life, joining this church. You offer God your best. We'll come. We'll stand as we sing for.